every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Second Saturday of the month, if you follow along with our home maintenance calendar, you know we are talking trees. We're going to be talking about watering depth and also the tree of the month. We're joined by our Talking Trees host, John Eisenhower, ISA Certified Arborist, Integrity Save a Tree. And you've got uh, quite a panel of guests in with you today. Uh, having alongside me today my uh, my. My right-hand man, Stephen Price, our assistant branch manager, soon to be our branch manager Yahoo! at Integrity Tree Service. He's coming a couple of months. He's um, uh, riding shotgun today. And also I have a, a special guest, Peter Condon, who I will let him introduce himself because he has a long, illustrious title uh, at Mesa Community College. Peter, it's good to have you with us today. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, yes, my long, illustrious title is uh, Program Director of landscape horticulture, and sustainable agriculture programs. I'm glad you said that, not me. Mm. And so you, you have a, an incredible um, urban horticulture program at MCC. And one of the main reasons I wanted you to come was just to tell, talk a little bit about that program because from my perspective as an arborist, when people are looking for some additional education beyond getting their arborist certification, their tree worker certification, there's uh, there's some choices we have across the valley to get a little bit a little bit higher level of education, and your program has been uh, a a stable a um, a staple program right here in the valley for some time, and it's really uh, a great program. Uh, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, uh, quite a few of our uh, graduates are uh, business owners. They're working for some of the larger businesses. Uh, so the typical student would be someone who wants to become a landscape designer, uh, uh, a landscape design build company, either an entrepreneur or just work for some of the other companies. Also, uh, we focus on plant propagation too. Uh, so uh, if you want to work in a nursery if you or if you're already in the industry but you just need uh, a boost, if you need some more education to get a promotion uh, so that you would come to our program for either an associate's degree or a certificate. And what, what's some of the course study? What are some of the course titles? What, are, what kind of stuff do you cover? We do everything from plant biology, urban plant care, which is basically arboriculture, uh, plant identification, which is harder than people think. You have to know the botanical names of everything and, and all identify the new, them. And all the new changes. And all the new changes, which we'll talk about today. Well, some of them today. Oh, boy. We have aquaponics, where you can actually raise fish and vegetables in the same system. Uh, we also have a sustainable agriculture program. So that's a, that's really pertinent for today when people are looking for food. If you know how to grow it, you could just go in the backyard and go shopping. And what's the typical length of a, of a program? A couple of years? It's two years. Two years. So four, four, four full semesters. Mm -hmm. Four semesters if you're going to go full time. Well, we've had Steve Preeb on our program in the past, and Steve is one of your faculty members. He teaches uh, tree biology. I know Claude Clough, um, another arborist here in the Valley, teaches what – is, what does is Claude cover? Claude teaches urban plant care, which is basically arbor culture, okay. which is the care of trees. And so and, – and what's your, your role in the program? You're, are you carrying some of the class load as well? I do. I teach – 
plant biology. I usually teach plant propagation, greenhouse design and construction, and uh, plant identification. Well, I, I'm nearing retirement, and you know I've given it some real thought about I, I maybe. I think he's getting ready to ask you for a job. I, I know. I was no, no. It wasn't a job. I'm thinking of coming and taking the course for the next couple of years. I, I, I would love to. Uh, fill out my uh, background and understanding as well of trees, so it might be something I, I'm, I'm thinking about. Tell us a little bit more about MCC. I know you've got that a very famous rose garden we were talking about earlier this morning, which, by the way, is off limits now, unfortunately. Um, how many roses are there? Boy, there's over 7,000 individual plants. Uh, that number goes up and down depending which rosarian you speak to. Uh, we've got probably 650 varieties of rose in there. And now the entire 160-acre uh, campus is um, an accredited arboretum. So every tree and shrub on campus has an accession number, and it's all put into a database. So, yeah, that's a, that's a nice um, feather in MCC's cap is to have that arboretum designation because U of A has an arboretum, ASU has an arboretum, now MCC has an arboretum. And it's really fun, too, when you go on campus because you can get a map of the trees, like at ASU and, and at your campus, and you can walk through the campus and you know and identify trees and and shrubs and and get to know them, get f familiar with them. And because we are in flag are on in Flagstaff, they don't live out the lumberjacks either. No, the arboretum in Flagstaff <laughs> is is a is a real uh, uh, treasure in in northern Arizona as well. So if you have a chance to check out any of these arboretums, uh, yeah, you want to be uh, add that to your your punch list or your your uh, uh, your, t your bucket list for this summer um, as things open up and we get a chance to get back to some of our national parks and they start opening the parks again. Um, well, thank you for coming alongside today. It's so fun to have Steve and 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 you here to help um, answer some of our listeners' questions. If you have any questions today and you'd like to um, uh, shoot them our way, you've got a panel of experts here who are anxious to answer your tree-related questions. one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you Text questions can be sent to 411-923. And you can also snap a picture talking about uh, plant identification. You can snap a picture and email it to info at rosyonthehouse.com. You, you know, we have our tree of the month this month. And this is one of the reasons I invited Peter in, because he was the one who told me last year that this is one of his favorite trees. And I, uh, I nominated it as our tree of the month for April in 2020, and I, uh, which led me to pick up the phone and say, Peter, would you join me uh, on our April broadcast and talk to us about this tree and why it's special? And uh, Peter, why don't you introduce it? Tell us a little bit about our tree of the month. Uh, the tree of the month is, the common name is the pink trumpet tree. And the, the botanical name is really fun to say. It's tababuya. Tababuya impetiginosa. Impetiginosa. Love Try it. saying that with a mouthful of crackers. <laughs> and why do you like it? Uh, it, it flowers in the late winter. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's just stopping now, but it flowers before the leaves come out. It's a deciduous tree. So it's just an explosion of bright pink flowers. There are several around town. You get it, some people get it confused with the orchid tree, which flowers at the same time. But the orchid tree flowers with the leaves, so the floral display isn't as uh, dramatic. Uh, dramatic. Yeah. Well, the first one I saw several years back, I didn't know what it was. And I saw this 
big splash of, of powerful pink, uh, purplish color across the street from where I was. And I went over and I looked at it. And I couldn't identify it by, by just the, the blossom alone. As you said, just like the uh, uh, our evergreen pears have this powerful white blossom um, in the early spring uh, before they put their leaves on. Uh, so this tree has that same really amazing uh, floral display before they put on their spring leaves. So I, I put out my uh, a little, I took a couple pictures, sent them out to my, my listserv with Rick Kober and his band of um, horticultural friends and said, help, I need some tree ID uh, assistance on this. And sure enough, it came back as it was Tababuya. And it's, uh, you know, been one of those really cool trees that um, uh, you don't see planted that often. But yet they are available. You know, you can get them in local nurseries. That's the cool thing. It's a small tree, so you can fit it in a relatively small house or in a townhome. It, may, may, it might get to be 20 feet tall, uh, but it is available locally. Uh, several nurseries around around uh, around the area have it. Uh, right up the street, Whitfield has it. I've seen it at uh, Arcadia Color Nursery. So once the bloom comes off, right about now, it's starting at the end of its bloom cycle. Um, how does it look as a as a, just a regular shade tree for the rest of the year? It's not a bad tree. Uh, it, it's got dark, sort of like a blocky bark. Uh, it's not it, it's not a rel- very large tree, uh, but uh, it's got a palmately compound leaf, which means it's got one big leaf with five leaflets on it. And that that's sort yeah, of unique, unique identifiers. Yeah, sure. What color are the leaves? Are they light green, dark green? Right now, they're when they're just coming out, they're a little bit pinkish, uh, and then they turn dark green. Dark green, good. Reminds me a little bit of the uh, of our orchids, our bahinias, mm. um, which also have kind of a darker green leaf, and um, even after their bloom is off, they are actually quite a nice little patio sized shade tree. So. Pink tab pink trumpet tree tababui impetuginosa impetuginosa. All right, love it. Well, we have a few other topics I want to talk. And I'm <clears throat> just going to say something real quick. Um, our eight hundred number is not currently forwarding to the studio. Uh, it was an automatic setup. So, if you'd like to call. Call directly to the studio, 602-277-5827, 277-KTAR, where we're broadcasting live from today. While we get the 800 number rerouted, we've added a few new features that the phone system had that we weren't utilizing now that so many people are working remote. and We've got apps and forwardings and somewhere in all of that, okay. Saturday morning's forwarding to the studio uh, didn't get worked out. Is, isn't connecting. So call directly to the station, 602-277-5827. Well, you know, the uh, pink trumpet tree has a, uh, a unique uh, size, height, and spread, and adapted to specific um, a nice smaller areas in your landscape. And one of the uh, bugaboos that we have as a company that does – most of our work on the maintenance end of things, we end up inheriting some really uh, uh, difficult landscapes to work with. And one of the reasons is we find trees that are out of place, mm-hmm. trees that, that were not the appropriate uh, uh, plant for that location. We talk about right tree, right place. 
and that whole concept of right tree, right place is a you know it's a a, a real uh, important concept because once you've chosen your tree, we talked a little bit about that last month about selecting the right trees and getting the right qualities. In fact, today I'm going to be going to Greenfield Citrus Nursery for one of our, our customers to just do a little bit of looking around for them to try to select the right tree. But once you have that, that tree that you've just brought back from the nursery and you're getting ready to put it in the ground, what are some of the considerations for right tree, right place um, to, to be sure that we're um, we're putting it in the right spot. You have to understand the mature height and the mature width. Don't look at the size of the tree when you buy it. Even if you buy a 36 or 42-inch box tree, which is fairly large, that tree might get 40 feet wide. And if you put it six feet off your house, you're going to have to be constantly trimming that tree, which weakens the tree over time. Uh, you also want to know the ultimate height. There's nothing worse than seeing line of telephone wires with trees that are cut into V's so the wires can get through. <laughs> yeah, yesterday I saw a big line of, of olive trees and they were all cut at about 12 feet of height because they had to be underneath the communication lines. The power lines were above that even, mm-hmm. but the communication lines are right there too. So unfortunately those olive trees had to be just uh, cropped at a really low height. I took a call uh, a couple weeks ago from Mary in North Phoenix and she wanted to know why people chop down mulberries and then let them re-sprout <laughs> yeah. she's like she just it, it was it was bugging her to her core but. well those those mulberry trees are actually being pollarded and pollarding pollarding is an actually a, uh, a pruning um, uh, type that's um, practiced around the world on several several tree varieties and species that that lend, lend themselves to that and we'll continue that right after this So I had to cut you off there. We can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock, and we were running a little long on that. So the, the when you see a nice big tree, and I see it with Chinese elms as well, they're fully matured. Mm-hmm. They'll chop them down to Nubs. leave, like, the trunk, <laughs> and that's that's a technique. Well, it is a technique of pruning <laughs> style. Yeah, it, it is a, a method of, of pruning, but... You know the. I'm sorry, China berry trees. China berry. I was going to say not Chinese elm. I'd hate to see that. That would be, but China berries too. They're they're not very good compartmentalizers of injury. A lot of decay in those trees. Um, I would not recommend this practice if you can avoid it because the tree growing it's uh, as it naturally grows with proper crown reduction cuts is much better than making heading cuts at any stage in the life of a tree. If pollarding is started um, with a a tree like a mulberry early in the life of the tree, it can be a practice that's sustained over uh, decades. Um, but it's uh, it, it was really practiced mainly to to provide cordwood and for fencing material uh, for because the sprouts that emerge out of those cuts uh, are uniform size and length, and they can be cut and then and used for various purposes. And uh, but a lot of people do it to their mulberries now just to kind of. Uh, uh, keep, contain yeah, contain the trees they get kind of leggy and long and and uh, and then it, it makes an easier cleanup to just do one one uh, fall pruning on those trees or late win- late fall early winter pruning uh, to pollard those uh, trees all the way back but 
It's humiliating to the poor tree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I can't imagine doing that. There's personally. a proper way. Yeah, there's a proper way to, to do pollarding well. And once you've started the, the process, you know, you can try to convert the trees back to natural, which we've done uh, uh, easier uh, er, early in the life of a tree than it is later. But um, once you keep it up, if you want to continue it, there's a proper way to do it uh, well. Um, but yeah, it's a, a little bit hard on the tree. To, and it probably, you know, a, a re, probably reduces the lifespan of a tree probably by 25, 30 um, percent. So not a, not a great practice. But if, it, if the trade-off is having easier maintenance on one of those big trees and kind of containing its size and keeping it under control, uh, maybe not a bad idea. We all have every line full. Callers waiting to get a hold of you, so let's get started. One, uh, excuse me, 602. 277-58274 will be the call-in number for today. We'll start with Jim. Welcome to the program. Hi. Good morning. Um, I um, have a situation. I have 150 pomegranate trees and 40 peach trees on my property. Wow. And I, when the leaves drop in the fall, I trim the trees, uh, kind of cut the suckers down, cut the long branches down, and the peach trees I cut down so I can at least pick, pick the peaches. This, because I planted them, well, I planted them six years ago, and I'm getting older, and um, I can't keep up like I used to. So I'm falling behind on trimming the peach tree, uh, the pomegranate trees. The question I have is if do I cut the suck? If I should not be able to cut the suckers real soon, can I still cut them during the summer and the branches, even though they do contain fruit, or should I just let them go until next year? Um, to do them in the winter? Yeah, again. Or could I do it now? I mean, continue to do it April, May, until I'm finished. I can't keep up anymore. No, I, I wouldn't uh, think there'd be a problem at all. In fact, a lot of um, uh, qu we have a lot of questions re with regard to um, pruning deciduous trees out of season. Normally, deciduous trees should be planted during the uh, pruned during the dormancy, as you were saying, December, January, primarily. But because we don't have a real true dormancy here, and depending on the dosage of the pruning, you can prune you know pretty much around the around the calendar year. Just be sure the dosage is, is, you know, restricted and kind of evenly spread through the year. Yeah, in order to keep up, you know, you might need to do some uh, spring and summer pruning as well. And if he planted those six years ago, they're just now getting into their prime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you'll have to kind of keep up with them. I'm trying. I just, I'm getting too old. I can't get down and up. Like love, I love to come see your property sometime. Give us a shout. I'd love to see those 140 pomegranate trees. Oh, yeah, baby, late-breaking news on the world of plumbing in the greater Phoenix metro area. Stampede Plumbing is open for business. Y'all need to know that. Now, they've recently gone through an ownership change, so at Rosie on the House, the tightest screened referral directory on the planet, we had to rescreen the new owners. They passed with flying colors. Stampede Plumbing, been Rosie certified since 2006. They've been a great partner taking care of Phoenix area homeowners for 30 years. Stampede Plumbing, open for business, and they're running specials. With all y'all home right now, you can get 
Uh, they're full-service plumbers, but right now they're offering a $99 drain cleaning with accessible clean-out to keep all systems a go, go, go. Hey, how about that? That Stampede Plumbing, yes, you can find them at rosieonthehouse.com. Yes, they are open for business, and yes, they are absolutely Rosie certified, and yes, they are operating currently under all COVID-19 safety precautions and it, protocols if you scroll through municipalities twitter accounts and facebook accounts about every third or fourth post is a reminder not to flush anything but toilet paper down the drain yeah oh, baby love of God, please. oh yeah <laughs> the, yeah it's the, putting quite a strain on the uh reclamation industry this <laughs> right now <laughs> show them the post pictures folks. no it's ugly Ooh. No, no, no. So if you're one of those people that uh, started using alternate measures and you've noticed a little bit slower of a drain uh, draining or backup, and it might, might, might be a candidate for a good clean-out. Yeah, what are tell, they doing it for, tell, $99? Tell Uncle clean John out? that's not what the paper coffee filters are for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our tree of the month is the Jababui. Tababuya. Tababuya. The pink trumpet, and we've got the caller who wants to know more about it. Charles and Phoenix, welcome to the program. Yes. Uh, so we just lost him. We'll call him back, and that's going to bring us to Aaron uh, with a eucalyptus tree that we're going to throw to Steve Price, the branch manager. And Pete brought this up earlier. That uh, well, what? How ironic is it? Your title at an arborist company is branch manager. Perfect. <laughs> You need a leaf manager. There's a joke you need in a there root somewhere. Manager. <laughs> Aaron, go ahead. Hi, uh, thank you for taking my call. I uh, I have a eucalyptus tree uh, mature that uh, a couple years ago uh, during the big storms uh, lost uh, just about all of its branches, and it's uh, right now it's a stick with some shoots on it, and I'm debating whether to chop it down and replace it or or let it be uh what would you what would you suggest aaron uh based on what you just said it's a top candidate to get an arborist out right away to take a look at it because even though eucalyptus trees are known to drop branches when they get heavy and kind of dry and over the years um, and even sudden branch drop. But if you lost many branches during the storm, there, there's, that's definitely a sign that something else is going on, and the tree could be very unhealthy and, and actually a hazard based on that. So uh, definitely get someone out to take a look. The other issue is as those sprouts regrow, a lot of times they're very weakly attached, and then it's even much worse if the tree is diseased or sick inside and has a lot of decay and you don't see it. Um, so someone needs to come out, check it out, maybe do some sounding on the tree and find out how bad the decay is and make a determination for you on site. Um, but I wouldn't put it off for sure. Um, okay. You know, you can always uh, I do have another question on uh, Decoranda. Hey, go ahead. Okay. So we planted a, a Decoranda. My, my wife wanted one uh, a couple years ago. And uh, I've noticed... Uh, I'd say it's about about eight foot tall now, uh, and I've noticed some of the leaves are, are kind of drying out and getting yellow. I'm not sure if it got frost, frostbitten or if it's something else. 
Well, it could be that some of those leaves were just carried over, that they didn't uh, fully drop during the uh, sometimes these mild winters, will, will, some of our, our deciduous trees will carry leaves uh, right through the winter, and then they'll, they'll have to drop them before putting on new leaves in the spring. So you might have that, just that le- natural leaf turnover. Also, jacarandas, are, are, they, they are very frost-sensitive, and uh, they can show a little bit of frost damage. Um, but they're also, um, uh, they need a little bit of um, uh, iron, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, they, they like a little more acidic soil, and sometimes they, they can show some signs of, of uh, um, some nutrient deficiencies that um, just due to our high alkaline content in our soils, sometimes they're, they're just not getting the nutrient uptake they need to put on a nice, uh, um, um, a nice display of leaves and, 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 and bloom. So uh, in, those, in the early going, it might be a consideration to think about fertilizing uh, that jacaranda and tr- or amending the soil to try to improve some of the soil conditions, uh, possibly a, a something to buffer the pH um, to help that tree to get along. Because once they get established, they're beautiful, but they are sometimes a little more difficult to get established, especially in the early going. If it's a young tree, um, it might look a little scrawny and, um, and uh, uh, in, the, in those uh, first few years. So don't, don't lose patience with your jacaranda, but know that in the first few years it may not look as glorious as some younger trees that seem to get fast out of the blocks, so to speak. Uh, jacarandas sometimes are a little bit slower um, getting established. We appreciate the call. We've got Charles back on the line. Wants to talk about the tababui, pababui. <laughs> yep. The, the yep, pink. I'm here. The pink tropical. Uh, yeah. I moved here from uh, Santa Barbara a few years ago, and they told me that the trumpet tree, I really loved it, uh, that it was poisonous to pets. Is that true with this one? Oh, boy, I'm not going to touch that one. I'm not 100% sure. If you go to the ASPCA website, they have a list of trees that are known to be uh, toxic to pets. Uh, okay. I, I, I would trust the uh, veterinarians first before me. Oh, okay. Well, a lot of them say that uh, these plants, they'll just give them an upset stomach, so which is a lot. So, Okay, so I'll, I'll check that. Uh, do you know if the strawberry tree grows here? Don't know the strawberry tree. Do you know the uh, genus and species? No, they used to have them up and down the streets in the Santa Barbara area, and uh, you could. They're it sort of looks like a strawberry. They're edible, and you can just pick them right off the trees. So, Charles, would those be those little mini strawberries you could pick off the tree and eat them? They're like a bush. Yeah. No, they're a tree. Oh, so. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, in, in uh, a town called Orchid, they had an up and down on Main Street. They had it in a couple other towns in Santa Barbara. So, <clears throat> uh, my brain's not and, working uh, out. Our native tree, a little bit higher elevation, with that nice coppery bark. Uh, help me. Yeah, manzanita. <laughs> yes, I believe it's uh, in that genus. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, you know it's surprising uh, if you have the microclimate. Here, uh, usually a sheltered area on the east or north uh, north side of uh, buildings, uh, you can. Uh, there's a surprising number of of trees that can be grown in the low desert. Uh, we uh, had a, a customer who grew up um, a ginkgo uh, in, in one of my, which is definitely out of this region. But yeah, it's it's pretty nice that there are several 
plants that grow really well in California that can be grown here uh, if you give them the right conditions and usually uh, protected from afternoon sun. Uh, it's Arbutus, sorry. Arbutus. Arbutus unido. But of course it is. And <clears throat> I'm not sure what kind of pets he has, but looking at this picture of this this pink trumpet tree, if it's a dog, it's, it, unless it's chewing the bark, it's not going to be able to get to the leaves. You know. But stuff does drop. Yeah, <laughs> stuff does drop. That's the problem. Yeah, they, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't notice my dog often eating leaves. Yeah, we've had a, some problems with, uh, you know, pets do just love to, to chew on. We had uh, some discussion about uh, pets eating the little um, queen palm seeds that would drop out of queen palms and they're they're sweet little fruits actually and uh but they have to be careful because they sometimes can't digest the little pit that's inside an olive or uh, the pit inside those little fruits that they're chewing so yeah you do need to be careful because there are some toxic plants out there that are uh, very very dangerous the one that does come to mind is the texas mountain laurel has a, a seed uh, pod it's a very hard seed pod hard to break to get into the um, the toxic red uh, inner seed, uh, but uh, th- those still are something to you might want to sweep up and clean up, um, especially if they're underfoot and they might get crushed underfoot because those little uh, uh, beige seed pods that fall off of a Texas mountain laurel have a red seed inside that if 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 consumed are are pretty uh, pretty deadly. And then John, aren't oleanders known to be harmful to horses and yes, pets yes. as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. O- o- you want to keep oleanders away from uh, your horses, especially because they. They'll they'll uh, chew on those and, and get get awfully sick if not yeah. I, I just wanted to correct myself. Manzanita is Arctostaphylus, not Arbutus. Just for the tree nerds out there who are going to call in. <laughs> They're out there. <laughs> uh, now, on our calendar, we've got water scheduling. Uh, let's talk about that. We're in our season transition. We're coming up to the summertime. What are what are the best practices of watering? And it looks like they're throwing that one to you, Steve. Oh, they are. The best practices of watering. Great. First, <laughs> I, first, I just wanted to make a point that we did look up that tree, that uh, strawberry tree, well, uh, on that question. And it, it's not listed in our zone, but like John said, many things you can grow in little microclimates in your yard on, you know, when, the, when it's set up just right. And we, as arborists, are surprised many times we go and somebody's growing something. So I would absolutely give that a try here. Um, just try to keep it definitely shaded and uh, uh, throughout the summer, don't let it have any intense heat so yeah i would have fun with that and then let us know call back sometime uh watering it is definitely time to start increasing your irrigation um you know through the winter months it should have been backed way off we've seen a lot of problems with the excessive rain that we had or the uh, non-standard rain amounts we've had over the last several months and and last year as well where people don't shut off their irrigation they don't monitor that they just kind of leave it set and forget and, uh, and we've seen a lot of Phytophthora disease, uh, especially over the last year and a half or so. Uh, and then it surprises everybody because it's under the ground, it's under the gravel, and it's, it's really doing a lot of damage. But with that said, as it starts to warm up, it's really critical that you go through your irrigation system, turn it on, check the settings, and start increasing that time. But if you're not occasionally out there checking what, your, what the soil uh, moisture is like in your yard, 
um, then again, you can just be uh, either overwatering or underwatering no matter what you do. So we just encourage people to go out or have your landscape contractor go out and check, move the gravel, check the soil, see what's going on before you start adjusting your controllers. Because again, if they've left on, been left on, or if you had a leak, the ground might be still very saturated. You start increasing the water, the nights are still pretty cool, and you're going to have a lot of problems moving into the summer. So again, it's, it's easy to just say increase your water, but it really you should uh, check the system out first, make sure everything's working properly, check your soil moisture, and then adjust from there. And Steve, I love what you said about increasing the time, not the not the frequency of of watering, but the time on the on the established uh, cycles. It would be much better, for instance, to water twice a week for three hours than to water three times a week for two hours. Absolutely, because what you're doing is you're allowing more time between waterings, but you're also getting a deeper depth of saturation. Uh, so often we have people just increase the numbers of days that they're watering. That would probably not be as preferable as it would be to just increase the time on the on the, the frequency of the cycles that you have now. Because we're trying to avoid that situation where we're putting water on top of water on top of water. You, ideally, the soil profile should dry out between waterings. And, you know, we can't really tell you how many gallons to put on. And of course, it's all dictated by the dispense rate of your emitters and how, how much water is being uh, dispensed at a, a, in a given hour of time. But you, and, and it's soil texture and structure is so different from place to place. But the general rule is that you want to try to allow that soil profile to dry out before you're applying water again. And you'll be surprised in, in a lot of our clay soils that we have incredibly high water holding capacity in our soil. And you'll be surprised that even though the surface soil might appear to be dry, just a couple inches below, it's holding water very well. So don't just think that because it's dry, it's, it's, it's time to water again. Don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. Anyone else but me. Anyone else but me. No, no, no. Don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. Continuing talking trees, and, you know, it's a common reoccurring theme when we talk about the right tree in the right place, the right plant in the right place. And we've got two emails from listeners and with exact uh, situation that, that, you know, it probably wasn't the right tree in the right place and it wasn't the right tree in the right climate. So we've got, uh, and now Lewis is on the line with an Aleppo pine. Good morning, Lewis. Welcome to the program. Hello, hello. So... We'll just assume that is that Louise or Lewis? Louise, are you there? Louise. Ah, okay. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready for my question? Yes, we are. Okay. Um, I have an Aleppo pine, and um, it's not doing real well. And I've been to the nursery to get insecticide and fertilize, and I've done that a couple times myself. But um, I've been told that um, maybe it needs something injected or whatever, and I, you know, I haven't gone that route yet. However, the poor, poor guy or girl or whatever it is, um, is just not doing real well, and it's lost a lot of branches. I've been in my house for 33 years, and that tree's been out there. 
um, probably been um, neglected somewhat off and on through the years with sprinkler systems going down and so forth. It's got two big, huge branches now that are all brown. And I'm wondering if I would be able to save that tree or how do I know that it's time to just take it down? Well, as Steve said earlier, it probably would be a good idea to bring an arborist out to take a look at it. Uh, and it may, it's hard to, to do an armchair assessment over the radio, but pines have had a lot, had a, have had a, a real struggle the last couple of years, as you know, across the valley. There's been a, a mite that has got into the trees that's caused some problems. Uh, we actually have some engraver beetles now that are in the valley, which are attacking some ch- pine trees. Uh, we have some uh, other health issues. But pine trees also take uh, a long time to recover. Once they've started to lose some leaves, needles, and branches, they have to put on a lot. They have to put, you know, develop a new candle uh, with, to create the new, um, the new, the new branch structure. It's, it's a, it's a quite a, a large energy sink, and it takes sometimes a year or two to recover. So don't give up too quickly on your pine, even if it's looking a little stressed. You'll be um, with the nice seasonal rain we've had this last six months. Um, your trees are really in a good position to be able to uh, get through this next uh, year, and uh, it'll have to drop off all those old needles. Often those those uh, brown needles will persist on the branches. They're dead up there, and they're just going to hang up there and look pretty rough. If you need an arborist to come in and trim them out, you can certainly do that to give the tree a little bit better appearance. But it'll have to put on uh, new leaves. That might be another season or two, but I would um, consider fertilizing it you know, mature trees um, are, are such a, a premium in the landscape. It's a, a shame to lose one. They lend an, a, an incredible amount of, of what's called contributory real estate market value to our properties. Um, and they, uh, you know, to, to think about taking a tree, a large mature tree out and, uh, and having to replace it with a small uh, nursery tree. And, uh, you know, 33 years in, the, in that house, it's a long time. And that tree's probably out you know, older than that. So I would really consider giving it every opportunity. And again, using the advice, like Steve said, with of, of getting an arborist to give you a, a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down, because there's a time, some tr- sometimes trees have a reason and a season. Sometimes that reason and season have expired, and it's time to turn the page and put a new plant in there that you can really enjoy. But I would um, certainly um, not do that until, you know, the tree is uh, really on its you know last legs. Uh, Steve also talked about being careful of that eucalyptus tree that broke. That the uh, um, uh, sometimes when we have a some catastrophic failure of a branch of a large tree like a uke, you need to be really careful, as Steve said, and determine whether it's safe to live around that tree, especially the new growth. But I wanted to add that the one thing that we do have with a new tree, with an older tree, is you have a well-established root system. So if you can. Re- restore that crown and get that tree back on track it's sure nicer to be able to save the bigger trees that entire hour will be available on podcast download here shortly at the end of the program we had special guest pete condon director of sustainable architecture and landscape horticultural program at mesa community college steve price branch manager at integrity save a tree and john eisenhower of integrity save a tree with our pink trumpet tree of the month